Good morning, Beacon Church, and good morning, everybody listening today. Um, welcome to our video for this Sunday. Uh, we're going to be hearing a little bit later from Mick, who's going to be preaching from Hebrews chapter 8. Um, but it is worth, I think, just welcoming people. I just want to say hi to Jason and Claire out in Canada. I know you listen to us every week and others who join us. Do you know what? If you uh, are really enjoying these videos, but maybe would like prayer, maybe you'd like a bit of encouragement, then please do contact us at the church. We'd love to be involved in you and, and talk with you a little bit more. Um, so. Uh, before I start, what I'd like to do today is just have a look at Psalm 116. I don't know if you've read it recently, but there's some really interesting parts to this. It's almost like um, the writer of the psalm is, is, is saying, gosh, look, this is my situation, but God is like this. This is my situation, but God is like this. It's really, really encouraging. So uh, let me read it. Maybe uh, you want to read it with me. If you do, then uh, pick up your Bible. Um, I'm reading from the ESV version and let's read it together and encourage one another. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice, my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. A real sense there, isn't it, of a difficult time for the person writing that psalm, but there's the encouragement that comes out at the end to praise the Lord. And I want to just encourage you this morning. You know, as we go through, it's it's damp uh, here. Uh, you'll probably notice I'm uh, not at home. We're on holiday, um, but it's damp and it's wet. But let's praise the Lord together because he is faithful. Amen. OK, um, so uh, let me just pray. Uh, before we go to the preach today. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you're a great and amazing God. We thank you for your power and your grace amongst us. Lord, we thank you that even when we feel in distress, even when we feel 
in difficulty. You are our saviour. You are our passion and our power. Lord Jesus, you are with us. And then this time, Lord, when it may be damp, it may be dark, Lord, we're uncertain of the future. Lord, we trust you because you're the one who saves us. You're the one who sets us free for the, from the bonds. You're the one who helps us to flourish in this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you know, uh, last week on Zoom, Barb, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, had an amazing picture from her childhood. She had this memory from her childhood, the pea supers. Now, I never saw a pea super, but I've heard about them. That great fog that used to descend. And she was talking about walking round in this dense fog as a, as a, as a young person. And just not even being able to work out the way home because it was so dark. It was so foggy. And then a man came out of nowhere, absolutely out of nowhere, and led her home. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of the Lord. When we, when we feel that life is difficult, then suddenly we realise Jesus. We look to him and we say, do you know what? There is my saviour. There is my guide. There is the one who helps me. And as I, I sit here, uh, we're just outside Brighton and it's uh, um, slightly dark and dingy and wet. I can see the sea. I can just sense. Can you? I don't know if you can sense this morning the glory of the Lord, the blessing of Jesus on us. And we want to celebrate that, don't we? As Mick comes to uh, uh, preach to us, as he comes to deliver the sermon on, on Hebrews 8. Lord, we just want to pray for him. Should we just, just pray for him and our hearts? Lord Jesus, will you come now? Will you bless us uh, through mixed words? Lord Jesus, will you encourage us? And Lord Jesus, will you open our hearts to listen to him, to hear what he's got to say to us? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hi, and welcome to part eight in our series looking at the book of Hebrews. We're going to spend the this time together looking at chapter 8 and Jesus as the high priest of a better covenant. And I'm going to break this down into two sections. The first looks at the old covenant and why we need a new one. The second section will look at the new covenant. So let's start by reading from Hebrews chapter 8 verses 6 through to 9. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenants that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. First up, let's look at what the word covenant means. The Oxford English Dictionary defines a covenant as a mutual agreement between two or more persons to do or refrain from doing certain acts. In common English these days, the word covenant is usually only used in legal or theological contexts. For those of you who've bought a house, you may have seen the word used on the land registry deeds, describing something you are or are not able to do. 
For example, we have a shared driveway, and on our deeds is a covenant that states we are responsible for sharing the maintenance of the driveway with our neighbour, and that we have a legal responsibility not to block access to or on the shared driveway. If either we or our neighbour breach this agreement, we are entitled to take the matter to the courts for a resolution. So what is this first or old covenant referred to in the passage? The old covenant was an agreement between God and the Israelites and refers to the Mosaic laws. This term encompasses the Ten Commandments, also known as the Moral Law, which you can find in Exodus chapter 20, the ceremonial laws, for example those that are detailed in the first few chapters of Leviticus, such as the laws for the burnt offerings, and the laws for the peace offerings, and the judicial laws, such as those ones found in Exodus 21, that give instructions for what you must do when you buy a Hebrew slave, when a man should be put to death, for example, when you strike someone and kill them, or what to do with your ox when it gores a man or woman to death. In return for the Israelites obeying God and following these laws, these laws, he promised to protect and bless his people. See Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 15 to 18. But as we just read in the passage, in verse 7 it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, wait one minute. Is the author of Hebrews suggesting that God created a covenant that has faults? In 1994, a new rule was added to the Formula One motorsport regulations that introduced a speed limit when driving through the pit lane. The speed limit was introduced because across the various different motorsport championships there had been a number of serious accidents in the pit lane, which had led to the injuries to both drivers and pit crew alike. Failure to stick to the pit lane speed limit resulted in a fine for any driver and team who exceeded 100 kilometers per hour or 62 miles per hour. But there was a problem. The drivers didn't like the new rule, but it wasn't because they wanted to drive faster through the pit lane. The problem was that they were finding it really difficult to stick to 62 miles per hour and so they quickly demanded that a technical solution was found to prevent them from breaking this new rule. Now, that might sound a bit silly. After all, 62 miles per hour is pretty quick. But have you ever tried to drive up the track to the car park in Bleem Woods and stick to the five, mile per, 5 miles per hour speed limit? My car will happily potter along at 10 miles per hour without my foot being anywhere near the accelerator. So between trying to stick to five miles per hour, navigate around the massive craters on the track and avoid the dogs that seem to wait until you're right next to them to dart across your path, it's actually pretty challenging. It was the same for the Formula One drivers. They would spend 30 to 40 minutes racing around the track at speeds that sometimes hit 200 miles per hour. Their cars were designed to go quickly, not slowly. That's the whole point of motorsport. So when they entered the pit lane, it was just as challenging for them to try to stick to 62 miles per hour as it is for me to stick to the five mile per hour speed limit in Bleem Woods. 
knowing that the drivers are going to struggle to stick to the speed limit, was it a bad rule to introduce in the first place? No, it wasn't. The reason behind the new rule was to ensure a safe pit lane for the drivers and the pit crew. I don't think anyone would disagree that the rule was for good reasons. It's just that in order to stick to the rule, the drivers needed help. We know from reading through the Old Testament that even the best of God's people were not able to fulfil their end of the agreement. So was the problem with the covenant itself? Well, you read the Ten Commandments and tell me which one is a bad commandment. In a similar way to the new pit lane speed limit, God's reason for the laws was a good one, an understatement. But like the Formula One drivers trying to stick to the speed limit, God's people couldn't do it on their own. Let's go back to verse 8 where it says, For he finds fault with them when he says, in the New International Version, this is translated as, but God found fault with the people. Now that sounds pretty harsh. There's a fault with the people. But the reality is that God's people were never going to be able to keep the laws. In Genesis 3, we read about the fall when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was the only law that they had to follow. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 to 17. Humankind couldn't follow the one rule that God commanded when there was no sin in the world. There was no chance that the people would be able to follow all the laws set out for them. And if his people couldn't keep their end of the agreement, it meant that he was not able to deliver fully on his promises to them to protect and bless them. But the good news is that God already knew that and he already had a plan for us. Let us read on where the passage in Hebrews quotes and confirms the prophecy that we can find in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 to 13. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbour and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You'll remember uh, that I said earlier the Formula One dr drivers demanded a technical solution. That's exactly what they got. A button on their steering wheels which turned on a speed limiter that prevented them from exceeding the speed limit. For us, God already had the solution. He was going to create a new covenant with his people and that's exactly what he did and does through Jesus coming to earth and giving his life for our sins on the cross, then defeating death through his resurrection. Hallelujah! But it gets better. Jesus doesn't just bring in a new covenant. 
he brings in a better covenant. In fact, he brings in the best covenant. But what makes this one better? Do you notice the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? Take the Ten Commandments, for example. Who are each of the ten for? Most of them begin with, you shall not. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. The old covenant was all about what we had to do in order to receive God's blessing and protection. It was completely reliant on us doing the right thing, following the laws, following the ceremonial instructions for the various offerings that were to be made in the tabernacle when we needed to seek forgiveness from God. But the new covenant is different. It is not about what we have to do. It is all about what he will do. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. The laws are no longer written on stone tablets or parchment or paper. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit writes these laws on our hearts. Let me just say that again. The laws are written on our hearts. They are part of us. He is our God and we are his people. And when we get it wrong, when we sin, when we don't manage to follow the laws he has put in us, he is merciful to us. No longer do we have to bring an intricate combination of sacrifices in a particular way. Jesus, our high priest himself, was the sacrifice and through his sacrifice he is merciful to us. He forgives us, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did for us. It gets even better, as if that wasn't already pretty good. He doesn't just forgive us, he remembers our sins no more. There is no record of them. He doesn't store them up to use against us later on. Our slates are wiped clean. To receive this, we just have to believe it. If we believe that this new covenant, the one that writes the laws on our hearts, is merciful and erases all memory of our sins from God's mind, exists through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can live in this freedom. Through Jesus' actions, we receive God's blessing and protection. If you don't know Jesus today, I would ask you to consider this truth. You too can live in this freedom by believing that our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected so that we might benefit from this new covenant. Maybe take some time to reflect on this today and think about what this means for you. Perhaps today is the day that you would like to take that next step. If you are a Christian but you find yourself striving to do things to make God love you more, to make God forgive you, I'd like to encourage you today to spend some time dwelling on the promises of the new covenant. Do you, in your heart of hearts, believe that he, Jesus, has done it all for you? Or are you striving for your own salvation when the work is already done? 
Let's dwell today on the promises being all about what God will do, what God has done. Let's live in the true freedom that is available to us. As the new covenant that we read says, the law is written on our hearts. The Holy Spirit can and will set you free as you let him work in your heart and mind. I just want to finish today by praying for us all. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins and that you rose again on the third day, that you defeated death. I thank you that your actions bring in this new covenant that is not reliant on what we do, Lord. We don't have to do the things of the old covenant. We do not have to follow the laws in order to receive your blessing and to be protected. All we must do is believe that you are our Lord and Saviour. And so I ask you today, Father, to help us with that. With the laws written in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray, Father, will you help us to know that deeply and richly. As we dwell on these truths today, I pray will you speak to us Will you change our hearts and minds, Lord Jesus? Will you align us more with how you call us to be? I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for Beacon Church. I pray that you will bless everyone who listens to this message today as they dwell on the truths that we have heard. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I hope you have a really good week. God bless you all. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Mick, uh, for bringing us to that. Um, there was a real sense there at the end, wasn't it, of, of just acknowledging the greatness of God, of not striving, but dwelling on the promises of God. Of not striving, but dwelling on the promises of God. So you will find uh, under the video here a couple of songs I want to encourage you to use those um, and to allow that ability not to strive, but to dwell on the promises of God. And maybe as you do that, maybe open your Bible, pick out those promises of God. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, maybe, you know, look for a Bible and just, just say, what, what are these promises? What are the things that God has promised to me? And uh, yeah, and uh, you are really, really welcome with us this morning. Uh, bless you. May you have a great week. Um, and if you do want to be in touch, the details will come down in a minute. Thanks very much. Have a great week.